Good afternoon, and thanks to everyone for being here. We appreciate you spending some time with us and look forward to a very informative call on the coronavirus and what it means to your small business. My name is Molly Day, and I'm the VP of Public Affairs here at NSBA. On the call, we'll hear first from NSBA President and CEO Todd McCracken about the economic impact of the coronavirus, as well as various packages and proposals offered by lawmakers and the administration. Then we'll hear from Bob Shea, an attorney with the national employment law firm, Ogletree Diggins, who serves as NSBA's Chair of Health and Human Resources. Bob will dig into your role as an employer, how to deal with labor issues in light of the coronavirus, and what you can and should be doing. We will take your questions at the end of the call. To ask a question during the Q&A time, simply press five star, and I will unmute your phone accordingly. You will get a notification that your line has been unmuted. Once you have been unmuted, I will ask you to state your name, your question, and which of our speakers you would like to address the question. Once you have asked your question, we will mute your line again. We have received a few email questions which, which we will incorporate into the Q&A session. Please keep your questions brief and relative to the issue at hand. We will make every effort to answer these, but we plan to end this call by 1.45. We do plan to post a that that your comments will be publicly available. I will now turn it over to Todd McCracken. Thank you, Molly, and thank you all for joining us. I know that uh, this uh, moment in time is, is stressful probably for your uh, planning for your business operations and uh, the future economically, and, and now you have, uh, as it turns out, having planned for what the federal government may or may not do, either to, either to help or to hurt. But um, uh, we're going to try to provide a little bit of information here so you can uh, uh, use it as best you can. and. Um, uh, we will uh, uh, get you back into your operations pretty soon. So uh, as I'm sure everyone is quite aware, um, uh, the, the concern about the coronavirus has provoked a, a whole series of, of, of consequences that are affecting just about every business in the country, but particularly those businesses that are engaged in certain operations, you know, initially, of course, uh, travel and tourism, but more, much more recently, anyone uh, involved really in hospitality, so food service, restaurants, hotels, gyms, et cetera. Uh, in fact, just today, of course, is a whole rash of, of states and cities that are ordering those those businesses either to close uh, for a, a couple of weeks, in some cases indefinitely, um, or to uh, uh, at least change the way they do business. Um, for instance, uh, uh, in Washington, D.C., currently bars are allowed to be open, but they can't serve at the bar. People can't sit at the bar. Um, restaurants can't have tables that are more than six feet together. Uh, so uh, those aren't technically closures, but it's, it's meant to make those businesses simply can't function profitably. So on top of that, uh, employees uh, are often calling in sick, uh, demanding sick leave, and now the federal government has stepped up to uh, uh, add some additional administrative burdens, maybe some financial burdens um, to those companies that are struggling. So we're going to try to sort through all this a little bit. Um, I'm going to try to tell you what's, what's going on, what might be some, some bright uh, uh, hope for, for the future, and then we'll uh, have uh, 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 Bob Shea, who's a real expert, talk to you about um, have implications for your workforce, what, what you need to be cautious about, what you need to pay attention to, um, and how you can implement various kinds of policies. Um, so, uh, uh, as you all probably have heard, the uh, 
uh, House of Representatives passed a bill late Friday night, actually technically early Saturday morning, uh, that would do a number of things. Uh, the, the, the implications for small companies primarily are that it, it puts into place a mandatory um, mandatory uh, leave policy, both family and medical leave for 12 weeks, uh, but also um, uh, uh, sick leave for two weeks. So uh, it's, both of those things are pitched to the Secretary of Labor to issue guidelines in the next 15 days, assuming it passes and, and is signed by, by the president. Um, he does have the ability to exempt companies with fewer than 50 employees from the, from the long-term leave provisions. Uh, he does not have the authority under the sick leave provisions. Uh, people should also be aware that um, the the sick leave provisions, which are separate, require two weeks of ten days, really, of paid uh, time off that are on top of what the company currently um, uh, currently offers. So uh, uh, while they will be uh, uh, technically reimbursed for some of that through the payroll tax system. Uh, that will be a significant burden on lots of companies um, to sort through what is COVID-19 related leave versus regular sick leave and all of that. So um, uh, now you may also have heard more recently that over the weekend because of concern expressed by us and other other, other members and other business associations, uh, this is all getting another look. And in fact, the House may go back and, and redraft their bill and pass a, a version that I think will, might be better for small companies. We've actually advocated for, for a solution that actually exempts uh, small businesses entirely from this, and that we have a program that runs, uh, that the federal government can run directly. There probably aren't good reasons to have small businesses as a middleman for this conduit of benefits between the government and the, and the employees as essentially an administrator when all, all the other things going on. So uh, stay posted to our website, uh, and we'll let you know how that how that develops. And uh, maybe Bob can talk a little bit more about how that would work when he talks. Um, the, uh, uh, the SBA has already, the Small Business Administration, has already uh, begun to implement a, uh, a loan program for small companies under their uh, uh, disaster loan program. Um, that's not... I would I would say fully functional yet because a few things have to happen. One is the state or locality has to actually request uh, uh, participation that are experiencing a disaster. Again, this program is designed for hurricanes and that sort of thing. They're using it for this particular situation. Um, so so once the administrator of the SBA, uh, who I met with just last week, receives. Uh, uh, the word of the, uh, uh, that the locality requests the assistance, she is uh, authorized by the president's declaration last week to, to implement that um, herself uh, and then begin that loan program. Now, it does have limits, however, and uh, uh, it's not clear that it's sufficient right now for all small companies that might need it. Um, and I, and I, the last time I looked, which was just this morning, the SBA website had information about the program, but I still wasn't able to get through to see about signing up for it. So uh, hopefully that will change soon. 
Um, in the meantime, we're going to keep providing all kinds of information for you and for other kind of other companies on what's going on as updated as we can. Um, so we'll be pushing out emails on a regular basis. Check back to our website, which is nsba.biz, for a host of not just information on loans, but also latest from, from CDC for businesses, from administration on, for businesses, and sort of what are best practices that we're hearing about. Um, uh, so as all that's unfolding, we're also beginning to advocate for what the economic fallout of this is going to be and what and what uh, mitigations can be put in place for small companies. Clearly, for a successful company that can't otherwise operate now, either because they can't have employees who can come into work because uh, maybe the kids are home from school or whatever, or they just don't have a, a customer base right now because of other restrictions, um, they need to find a way to get to the other side of this. And, and in this period of time, liquidity and cash will be king. So we're looking at a range of options that could include everything from a grant program to a long-term loan program. The chair of the House Small Business Committee has already introduced a bill that would implement a, a a, a direct loan program, not to the banks, but a direct loan program from the SBA uh, to small businesses for up to 10 years, uh, where uh, payback would not start for at least one year, um, and the interest rate would be uh, either low or no interest. Um, that kind of approach uh, is probably what a lot of companies are going to need uh, as, we, as we move through this period. So, um, uh, Basically, we're advocating for that. We're advocating to sort of keep burdens off small companies. Uh, this is not the right time to be putting new requirements and new headaches on the backs of small companies. So um, while uh, clearly their workers have real needs, um, there, are, there, are, there are better ways to address those needs, we think, in many cases, if not all cases, than to put additional burdens on, uh, on the small companies that are already dealing with so much right now. Uh, and I think that is really well illustrated by a, a survey that we, we conducted uh, last week, uh, it was it was run from uh, uh, March 11th to the 13th, uh, and we received uh, a significant amount of responses. So we're pretty we're pretty clear that it's a it's a good survey, and it shows very clearly the levels of worry that are out there for the small business community right now. And the uh, uh, the more than three quarters of small companies are uh, uh, worried about the economic impact. Of uh, of this, uh, specifically, they are very worried about the economic impact of uh, the coronavirus and, and the uh, and the reactions to it. Uh, half of them say they expect a significant uh, reduced customer demand for their for their products and services. Um, you know, most of them say they've done a lot to issue uh, guidance and uh, talked about how to keep a healthy workplace. They've they've Changed events and conferences, uh, et cetera, um, but they're deeply worried about um, the economic uh, impact still. And you can see the change uh, from just two months ago. We had a similar survey in January, and the the, the percentage that say the economy is is doing much worse or somewhat worse. Uh, than it was a year ago has gone from just 14% to 72%. Um, in January, only 14% of people expected a recession in the next year. Now, 54% expect a recession in the next year. So, uh, 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 and many fewer are confident about the about the future of their own of their own companies. So clearly, this is a time for action and not a time for more burdens on small companies. Uh, it's time for us to reach out and figure out ways to to help those businesses. 
Um, and so uh, we have uh, meetings and calls set up with the administration. Uh, as I said, we have met with the SBA last week. We're, we are working with our uh, and collaborating with our friends in the small business community who also represent other uh, uh, niches uh, of the small business community so that we can present a united front so that we can uh, uh, improve the environment or keep it from keeping it from uh, further uh, uh, eroding uh, for the small business community. Um, so that, uh, in general, is uh, is the state of play of things. I think we uh, I, I want to stop and allow uh, Bob to do his presentation. He and I might then do a little bit of dialogue on some on some topics to help illuminate some of those issues, uh, and then I want to make sure we save time for the Q and A at the end because I really want to make sure that we we hear what you're dealing with and and hear what uh, 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 the ways that we can help and things we can address here in Washington. Anyway, so uh, Molly, I think I'll stop there and I'll let you introduce Bob. Great, thank you, Todd. And for those of you on the line who were are having some technical difficulties, I I apologize for the situation we're having. Um, I have been in communication with our conference call system, and they're trying to improve it as we speak. So hopefully, everybody's getting on who wants to be on, uh, and that, that the quality of the call has improved. Um, if you're having these issues, please feel free to email me, and uh, we'll do our best to get those resolved. Um, now, to turn it over to uh, Bob Shea, our resident expert on employment law, um, if you can just uh, discuss uh, folks' role as an employer in dealing with COVID. Thank you, Molly. Uh, well, uh, and thank you, everyone, for joining. This is obviously a very fluid and evolving situation. Uh, some of the issues I expected to discuss in this call, some of the issues I've been discussing with clients in the last two weeks, such as uh, dealing with travel restrictions, have been made uh, somewhat moot by by recent events. Uh, so it makes it all the more important that businesses, employers stay informed. I urge you to read the CDC interim guidance for business uh, and employers. Follow the new communications from uh, the CDC, all from your state and local governments, because it's there, there are new developments every day, if not by the hour. I encourage you. Uh, to educate your workforce and communicate regularly. Uh, employers have a general duty under OSHA to maintain a, quote, workplace that is free from recognized hazards. Uh, and this duty can sometimes uh, include implementing reasonable measures to prevent the spread of infectious diseases. Do not assume your employees are sufficiently educated and are taking appropriate steps, even if they are educated. Your communications will reinforce the message that they should be taking safety measures very seriously. Uh, if COVID-19 does reach your workforce, you will want to know. Uh, you want to know for your own sake, and you also will want to be able to show others that you took all appropriate measures. Uh, I note in that regard that the CDC has some excellent uh, resources, including notices that can be posted in your workplace and or emailed as PDF to your employees. You go to the CDC uh, website and to the COVID-19 section and look for uh, uh, notices and resources. You'll be able to find these, these notices. Uh, you know, what lies ahead for employers, uh, a lot of it will depend upon the legislation that Todd referenced in terms of paid time off, elimination of waiting periods for unemployment compensation, uh, group health uh, insurance continuation, uh, you know, what are employers doing now? Uh, you're all probably considering uh, 
how you can implement or expand your teleworking. And uh, the U.S. Department of Labor has issued a guidance last week that reiterated that employers can uh, permit or require employees to telework for a period of time. Uh, and uh, if you do that already, then you probably have a policy. If you don't have a policy that, that addresses telecommuting or teleworking, you, know, you, should, uh, you should do so. You should determine uh, your, how your existing policy may need to be modified to address the situation, maybe expanded the class of people that are eligible for uh, telecommuting. Uh, if you don't have a policy, you should establish one or at least establish guidelines for employees that address uh, employer expectations for people that are teleworking, including work hours, uh, you know, employees, uh, your expectation that employees remain accessible throughout the schedule of work hours, that non-exempt employees record their time and don't work outside the schedule of work, schedule of work hours. Uh, one of the problems with teleworking is you just have less control over what employees are doing, including the hours that they're working. So you want to make sure you set the expectations of the rules up with the employees that are going to now be teleworking. You want to take measures to maintain the confidentiality of company information and IT security. Uh, you'll have an obligation to report any work injuries that may occur while people are working at home. Uh, and you should be uh, considering any uh, telework costs that go beyond what the employees spend normally uh, for when they're working at home or what they spend normally for their uh, internet service. So to the extent that you are requiring that employees uh, uh, have a uh, higher speed internet or need additional equipment, you should, the employer should pay for that additional equipment. It should not uh, uh, shift that cost of doing business on the employee that's teleworking from home. Uh, employers also should be uh, cognizant of their requirements under the wage hour laws, uh, particularly the Fair Labor Standards Act and any state law laws that apply to your business. Remember that employees must be paid for all time worked, uh, including while they're working from home. And uh, also remember that the rules differ uh, between uh, exempt salaried employees and non-exempt employees. For example, if uh, today you decide as a result of the, the situation you're going to send your non-exempt employees home for the rest of the week, uh, you only have to pay them for the days they worked today. However, if you send your exempt salaried workers home today for the rest of the week, you would have to pay them for the full week. And that's because uh, salaried exempt employees are paid in at least full week increments and they can't be docked for working uh, less than a full week. Uh, I'll note that the rules change a little bit if an exempt salaried employee initiates the time off. For example, if one of your salary exempt employees tells you today that out of concerns of, uh, uh, of, of catching COVID-19, uh, they don't want to work for the rest of the week. In that instance, if the employee initiates the, the, the absence, you could dock in full day increments. Uh, you should be evaluating your vacation and sick time policies and how they're currently applying. Uh, currently, and this is... Uh, Putting aside the legislation uh, that Todd talked about, but currently, at least under federal law, employers can require employees to use vacation time to cover time off. But uh, employers should consider the consequences of imposing that requirement on, uh, on employees, including employee morale. Employers may want to consider leaving it up to the employee as to whether or not to use paid, uh, uh, paid time off. Uh, employees also may consider modifying their vacation PTO policies to allow advancing of vacation time. 
many businesses doing that, uh, even though they generally don't have a borrowing or advancing rule in place. They are modifying their policies to deal with this uh, COVID-19 situation, and that's okay. As long as those policies are uh, applied in a consistent way and the employer is not exposing itself to any discrimination claims uh, based on non-uniform application of a modification of a policy. Uh, Pay time off. Under many policies, pay time off is limited to uh, the employee's own illness or to care for a family member's uh, illness. Uh, uh, it would not normally earn uh, sick time, pay sick time, would not normally apply to a precautionary quarantine situation. Uh, but employers can consider uh, relaxing the requirements to, to uh, permit employees to tap into uh, all sources of paid time off. Again, if you do relax the requirements and modify your policies, make sure that you're applying them consistently. Uh, also, with respect to sick time, the CDC recommends that employers not require doctor's notes to support sick time or to, or to uh, support a return to work because uh, the CDC recognized that medical, uh, medical providers are likely, if not already, being overwhelmed and uh, do not want uh, employers to be adding to that burden. Uh, one issue that's come up a lot more, uh, sadly, uh, in the last couple of days is the issue of fur furloughs or temporary layoffs. And it's really a sign of how the situation has evolved in uh, over just even the last week. Um, where uh, the focus of uh, many conversations with employer clients has changed from taking appropriate workplace safety precautions to the uh, potential temporary shutting down parts of the business. And uh, generally, employers are free to institute temporary layoffs uh, or furloughs of employees. Uh, employees should consider whether or not there are any contractual obligations that might, with respect to particular employees, that might limit your ability to uh, subject them to a furlough. Or, uh, or certainly if there are any collective bargaining agreements in place. But absent that, currently, uh, an employer can decide that it's going to institute a, a furlough of its employees. Uh, in doing so, you should consider the FLSA requirements uh, for salaried employees. The, uh, the layoff should be in full week increments. It shouldn't start uh, midweek. Uh, you should make clear to furloughed employees that they are not to work while on furlough, they're not being paid and they're not to work. If they work during the week, they should be paid. Uh, so you wanna be clear about what the expectations are for furloughed employees. You should also, also determine how health insurance will be handled. Will, uh, will you maintain employer provided insurance uh, during the furlough period? How will the payment of the employee's portion of the premium be handled? Uh, will, in this instance, the furlough trigger uh, COBRA notices and, uh, and, and COBRA coverage for employees? Uh, you can determine whether or not furloughed employees will be entitled to unemployment benefits under your state law. And uh, it, it differs a little bit, and some states have waiting periods, such as five days before someone can collect unemployment benefits. So if you're considering a furlough as a way of, of dealing with the situation for your business and for your employees, you may want to look into what that furlough will mean for collection of unemployment benefits and advise your employees accordingly. Uh, you will probably not have to, uh, well, you should determine whether any notice requirements applicable to the furloughs under state law. And uh, probably not, but uh, uh, you should check that under your state law. I, most folks are aware of the WARN Act, which is the federal law, and doesn't apply to most businesses. Uh, 
you know, excuse me, to most small businesses, that is, uh, and uh, businesses of under 100 employees. And it also only applies to job losses or work hour reductions exceeding six months. So if you're planning a two-week furlough or a three-week furlough or four-week furlough, uh, WARN Act would not normally apply, even if you were a covered employer. Um, so I'm racing through this a little bit, but um, the uh, FMLA, of, uh, you may be concerned about whether or not uh, employees who are out of work in connection with COVID-19 have rights to, under the FMLA. Uh, note that uh, FMLA provides up to 12 weeks of unpaid job-protected leave. However, to be a covered employer under the federal FMLA, you must have 50 or more employees. And then to be an eligible employee, you must have worked for a covered employer for at least 12 months and have worked 1,250 hours during the prior 12 months. And the work location where you work must have at least 50 employees in the 70-mile hour, 70-mile uh, uh, basis uh, uh, radius. So uh, because of those high thresholds, many small, most small businesses uh, do not uh, have to worry about FMLA. Further, in an illness situation, FMLA only provides leaves for employees' own serious health condition or, or to care for a spouse, child, or parent who has a serious health condition. Therefore, uh, even if it, uh, you were a covered employer, and the employee was an eligible employee, it would not normally apply to a situation where the employee is in a precautionary quarantine. Uh, as far as workers' compensation, it could be applicable for someone who uh, contracts COVID-19. Uh, most states require workers' comp laws, uh, in workers' comp laws, that the employee can prove that he or she contracted the illness in the course and scope of the employment and that the illness was caused by a hazard recognized as peculiar to a particular employment. And uh, that may mean for a lot of folks that they're not covered by, uh, don't have workers' compensation benefits, uh, but some industries like healthcare industry employers uh, may very well have workers' comp coverage for COVID-19 illnesses. Also, if someone contracts COVID-19 uh, while traveling for an employer, that may make it more likely that they would be able to receive workers' compensation benefits. Uh, as far as workplace safety is concerned, I mentioned earlier that uh, OSHA has a general duties clause that employers are to maintain a workplace that is free from recognized hazards. Uh, for workers that are teleworking, what does that mean for workplace safety at the home? Uh, OSHA has stated that it will not hold employers liable for employees' home offices and does not expect employees to inspect home offices of their employees. Uh, however, OSHA does consider uh, injuries incurred while working at home to be work-related and reportable in the employer's OSHA 300 log. Um, and, you know, must a, an employee's case of COVID-19 reported in an employer's uh, OSHA 300 log only if the employer believes that the employee was exposed at work and the case is diagnosed by a laboratory test or healthcare provider as having been caused by COVID-19. Uh, well, that is my brief overview, uh, very much an overview of the uh, employment or issue, law issues that are arising as a result of COVID-19. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have very specific uh, questions that uh, may be uh, better addressed during the Q&A. 
Thanks, Thanks, Bob. This is Todd again. Um, I, I'm going to just start to ask Bob a couple of questions here first that might be helpful to the larger discussion. You talked about furloughs, Bob, but um, are there, if, as the, at least as the House bill was originally drafted, would there be any implications to furloughing someone who was already using, say, in the future, that, say that leave had been approved and they are on sick leave or using the pandemic leave and now you need to furlough people? Um, would there be any complications with that? Or uh, or, or yeah, analyze uh, that degree yet? Yeah, well, the answer to the, the the last question is no, I haven't to that degree yet. But it's an, an issue that occurred to me right away as I looked at the, at least the summaries of the legislation because mm-hmm. you know, if the legislation is going to impose costs upon businesses, uh, you know, might employers say, well, I'm going to get ahead of that by before it becomes effective in 14 days, uh, I'm going to uh, put these employees on furlough and avoid any obligations under the legislation. Uh, I, uh, if the legislation doesn't address that scenario now, uh, I'm, I think it probably will before it gets uh, passed and signed. Right, that makes sense. And then, um, what do you th- the, the the requirements for FMLA under the under the new bill would be different than the requirement in terms of what kind of what situations you can take leave for, right? Uh, so even companies that are implementing an FMLA uh, uh, rule now will have to rethink how they do it in the future. Isn't that right? Or could if this passes. Right, right. It was, it was sort of broadened the uh, who is an eligible, uh, well, what what matters are covered. So it, it wouldn't just be limited to uh, birth or adoption of a child or the serious health condition right. of a uh, of an employee or the employee's family member. Yeah, it'd just be a question of you know kids being out of school probably. Right. So, well, Molly, I don't want, I don't want to delay the other folks' questions. So, if you've got uh, some people on the line who want to have a question, let's let's get to it. Yeah, and I'll yeah. add to that last point that that, that the legislation is far, that the summaries that I've read specifically say that the employees would be able to use the leave to respond to quarantine quarantine requirements or recommendations to care for right. family members who are responding to quarantine requirements or recommendations and to care for a child whose school has been closed as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. So it's broadened quite dramatically uh, beyond normal FMLA uh, situations. Thanks. Thank you, Bob, and thank you, Todd. We do have a couple of questions. I just want to remind everybody, um, if you press five star, I'll get a little notification that you have a question, and then I can unmute your phone. Um, Please do keep the question relative to the topic at hand. And for those of you who are on the call now, I know that there were some some serious technical issues at the beginning of the call. And we are going to work to re-record Todd's portion uh, so that we can edit it in with the podcast and then send it out um, updated so that his his part isn't breaking out, uh, breaking in and out like it was at the very start of the call. So. With that, let me go ahead and turn it over to, um, I believe that's Gary Brand. Um, go ahead and ask your question, Gary. Hey, uh, Todd. Um, this is Gary Brand from Savannah, Georgia, and this is a question for Todd. Here's my question. The Treasury Secretary yesterday said that small businesses will be able to use deposits that put the IRS uh, as a cash advance. And... Usually, tax credits for flow-through entities uh, are related to the shareholder's personal return. 
So are these tax credits going to be applied against payroll liabilities or the shareholder's personal return? Well, the way they're talking about it, it would be um, uh, it would be the payroll liabilities. Uh, that's okay. really what they're doing, which is a better option, I should add. Uh, so at least we're not happy with the whole scheme they set up. That's that's a system that will get the cash into the hands of the business owner faster, um, we think. Uh, so if you're going to do something like this, it's the better way to do it, probably. Uh, but also, we should be add that there's other legislation coming down the pike. I mean, there's significant momentum behind uh, a payroll tax holiday. So, if, but if you have a payroll tax holiday layered on top of this, then you're not paying payroll taxes. So there's so there's no uh, um, uh, uh, Sort of mechanism to get a credit against under the under the leave provisions, so uh, these things have to work in concert. So you know the initial thought for lots of people on Congress was let's hurry and get this passed and we can come along and do something else. But they need to realize these things need to fit together. Um, the, the payroll tax holiday, if they pass this, makes a lot less sense. All right. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Gary. Um, the next question that we have popped up, I believe it's from, um, I think, Marilyn Landis. Um, okay, Marilyn, go ahead and ask your question. Yeah, a question I have. Our mayor has been talking about a lockdown of the city, and I, my office is within the city limits. Mm -hmm. Bob, what are the rules would change if there's a lockdown? Well, you know, uh, <laughs> People would not be working. And by uh, lockdown, you know, or, or it's literally a lockout. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know how you know if employees cannot get to their place of business, you know, and business is essentially shut down. Uh, you know, it's uh, you know there's FLSA just you know, consequences depending upon the you know the, whether it's uh, full week increments or not. There's going to be you know, employers going to have to decide how generous to be in terms of their, uh, you know, if the law is not requiring any payment by the employees, if this is a, you know, a, a, in a, in a city, uh, then it's going to be questionable how the employee, how the employer responds to it. And how, how does it, what does it do for its employees when they, you know, they can't work? Does it uh, well, the, allow them to use up their vacation? And the mm -hmm. reason our mayor feels confident about doing this is what a law they passed last fall just took effect Sunday that requires all employers to pay 14 days of sick time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do immediately give the employee no accrual for it. Um, for all, whether you're seasonal, part-time, doesn't matter. Everybody's entitled to 14 days. So he's talking lockdown or lockout because he, he feels that he's going to all the employees automatically will get that 14 days. It's a tough situation for the employers in Pittsburgh. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if that's it, that's what's being required then the employers are going to have to comply or, 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 or challenge it legally if they think there was a basis for doing that. Um, you know, and that was that, that mandate to, to, to pay the employees for some period of time is not there. Then it's going to be a question of what are, what are the employees decided to do on their own. And I guess, Todd, this is a further thought to you when you talk about how we're lobbying this bill in that if you have a lockdown of an area, lockout is really what amounts mm -hmm. to, and the business can't do business, and yet it is being required to pay 14 days of, of pay 
to its employees when it's not able to do business in any way because it's locked out of where it needs to do business. This is a pretty tough situation. Oh, it's an impossible situation, and uh, that's that actually was the basis of my question to Bob before, uh, legally. Um, it's a kind of gray area, uh, as you say, because if uh, the company is not allowed to do business, um, uh, and uh, and that falls within the reason for the employees to be able to take sick time under the city rule, I'm not clear on what the Pittsburgh rule is, so I can't answer it directly, but um, – the, if the uh, if the company chooses to well, it can't work anymore. If it chooses to furlough its employees at that point, what is the interaction between uh, their ability to furlough and any sick leave requirements? At least under the federal rule. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but but I've read the bill. Um, it doesn't seem like uh, companies would be prevented from getting out of of giving the sick leave or the mandated leave simply by having a layoff or a furlough. Um, but that's not entirely clear to me, and it's certainly not clear to me in the in the in particular locales that have their own um, uh, uh, rules and and regulations uh, uh, on a city or by state basis. So this is clearly something that the company had to pay attention to, and and ways with the legislators. We're trying to just generally make sure we're making the case that small businesses are already really struggling and we do not want them to go under and all these things are really going to hurt them. Um, and they shouldn't think of small companies as essentially a free piggy bank, uh, piggy bank for, uh, to fund employees. If uh, governments want to, want to make sure that people are made whole, they need to do it directly, not, not by requiring someone else to do it. All right. I can Thanks see if responses. this legislation, if this, yeah, if this legislation went forward, uh, as currently written, uh, yeah, that would be a big issue. Will, will employers say, I'm, it, I think it currently would go into effect 15 days after enactment. So uh, will employers say, I'm going to close up shop before, and, let my, and let these people go before this law goes into effect? Or, were they, or will the law preclude them from doing that? Which seems, you know... Uh, difficult for a the law to say you cannot shut down your business or if you do shut down your business you still have to pay these employees uh, for the, the required number of days yeah right. that would be shocking. thanks for that question and thanks Ted Bob let's move on to the next question um, I'm not sure exactly who this caller is so I've um, I have unmuted you um, if you want Thank to go you. ahead and state your name and ask your question. Certainly. My name is Wendy Masco and a company just outside of Pittsburgh. Um, and the reason for my question is um, different sides of my business do different things. So one side can telecommute, the other cannot. If I have to lay off the side that cannot telecommute due to regulations in our particular area and I do give them um, the unemployment benefit, will my benefit rates get raised? because we're tapping into the unemployment benefits? And is the government looking at anything to help the actual business owner? Because as the owners, if we can't make revenue, we can't pay our personal bills as well. So is there any legislation looking at if business owners can qualify for unemployment? Todd, I'll, I'll add the, the first part of that would be under current rules. And these, these are you know state-by-state state unemployment rules and how the uh, the employer contributions are determined, but generally speaking, under current rules, 
that if you laid off or furloughed a part of your workforce that can't telework and they collect unemployment benefits, it's going to affect your uh, your contribution rate, and you'll be paying more into the system in the future. Uh, as far as what measures the government might take to to mitigate the hit that employers will take, I don't know, Todd, if that's part of any of the legislation that you've seen. Uh, not directly, although I do think it could be in play. So I think I think we've we've made this case more than once over the years. We we were mostly making the case for something like this back during the 2008-2009 financial crisis. Um, and there's a little bit of a precedent in this House bill we've talk, been talking about. So while there's some negative things in there, one of the positive things is that there are provisions specifically for the self-employed. Now that's the way they define it is are, are more as sort of one-person operations. But so that they could collect money and, and tax credits and subsidies for their own leave and sick leave. So it's 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 a, not the same, but it's a very similar situation and a similar precedent. So uh, I, I do think we have an opening there to, to press that case further and maybe get somewhere. But it's, but it's definitely something that I think um, Congress is more aware of and attuned to than maybe they had been some times in the past. So that is something we we uh, I think we can work toward. Great, thank you. Uh, we'll now go ahead and uh, we've got another caller with another question. Um, you should be unmuted if you'd like to go ahead and say your name and your question, please. I'm not sure if this is directed to me. Uh, my name is Rose Morris, also from Pittsburgh. Uh, my oh. question is in regard to the um, recent um, law passed in Pittsburgh about the 14-day PTO, but related now to the Emergency Sick Leave Act, do I understand mm -hmm. it correctly that the emergency sick leave is on top of any PTO policy that the company currently has, or is it in combination? So if I already offer my employees um, two weeks' worth of uh, PTO during the year, do I now need to offer them two more weeks of emergency sick leave or was the, the fact that I already yes. offered two weeks? The answer is is yes. I, I, uh, if the bill passes as it was as it currently exists of uh, the House, the two weeks of sick leave is on top of anything you might offer. But it is okay. for specific things related to the coronavirus. So uh, it does put you in the position of saying, okay, which of keeping track administratively of which kind of leave you're offering. Now because it's only this coronavirus leave, uh, if your employees take it, that would make you eligible to get compensated for it from the federal government. So that's what that would be tied to. Um, so you could get your money back essentially on that, and then your employees would still uh, uh, be able to take whatever other leave you offer as well. Okay. Thank you. Great. Thank you for that question. Uh, let's go ahead and go to another caller. I think um, – We'll see if we can get somebody outside of Pennsylvania here. Um, let's just the Colorado number. Uh, your line should be unmuted. Say your name and your question, please. Hi, my name is Daniel, and I'm calling from Colorado. Um, I'm calling from a very small town in rural Colorado. Um, we have had lots of school closures within the surrounding communities, and I believe at the end of the presentation you stated 
that FMLA may be eligible for parents who need to take time off of work to take care of their children because schools were canceled. Uh, is that correct? Do I take it out or let me do it? Yeah, well, I mean, under the the, the House bill or how, uh, the, the legislation yeah. that's passed in the House, that would be the case, correct, Todd? Correct. Now, now I should say two, two things. Um, currently, under current law, the answer is no. That would not be a reason that uh, your employees could take FMLA, I believe. Under the proposed legislation, the answer is yes. Um, however, uh, the Secretary of Labor would have relatively broad discretion to exempt companies with fewer than 50 employees uh, from those provisions. Okay. Um, but we so, don't have the answer to that until this passes, and we see guidance from the Department of Labor in that regard. And there is some petition, either by individual companies or by representatives of companies, to uh, to get that exemption in their ruling. Great, thank you. We'll move on to another question, and we are getting close to the 45-minute mark. Um, Todd and Bob, Bob, excuse me, if you both still have a minute or two, I'd like to try and get through a couple more of these questions, if that's okay with you. Sure thing. Sure. Great. Thank, thank you. I appreciate that. All right. We have, uh, I've unmuted your line. If you could tell us your name and your question, please. Uh, hello. I'm not sure if this is me or not. Uh, my name is Kevin McCoy. I'm from Maryland. Uh, I have a question about, um, is there anything in the current bill about independent contractors? Do they get, uh, every once in a while I do need to use an independent contractor. Is there any protections for them possibly? that might come out of this? Uh, the answer is yes. Um, there's no obligations on your on your business to provide anything to your contractors, but as a contractor, uh, if there were coronavirus-related uh, uh, periods where they weren't able to work, uh, they could seek the same level of reimbursement and, and credit from the federal government that, that other employers could get for their employees they can get for themselves. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Great. Thank you. We'll move to the next question. Um, I, I know it's a little weird, but you should be getting some kind of um, a tone in your phone um, when it's uh, your turn to answer your question. So go ahead and uh, ask your question, please. Yeah, this is for Todd. Um, we're concerned, you know, we're a cash flow sensitive small business and we're concerned because our revenue has been cut by about 90% so far. Um, I'm concerned about the large, huge number of companies that are going to be applying for some of these SBA loans that you described early in your call. Do you have provisions in place to be able to, <laughs> do you have provisions in place to be able to process them very quickly? Well, we aren't the SBA. It's the Small Business Administration is actually running the programs, um, and uh, they're working on that now. So we expect to be talking to them later this week, and we'll update uh, folks on our website and through our e-newsletter on what we hear from them. Um, but it's just going to be a big lift because what they have now uh, in terms of their disaster relief provisions is, is a bump up that came from the the bill and, and, and from previous legislation and the, and the president's executive order, but it's not going to be nearly enough. And so they are going to also have to implement new loan programs, I think, that the Congress may pass in the coming days, which will be an additional uh, uh, burden on them. So that is something that we're really focused on is 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 
how can we all help the SBA get these things organized and run in an efficient way so that people can, can apply and get answers quickly because businesses can't wait for six weeks to figure out whether they're going to get uh, a loan. The whole point of these loans is going to be essentially to, to, to uh, bridge companies from this period to a better period and having to wait for an extended period uh, defeats the entire purpose of the, of the loan. So you hit on exactly the right question and I wish I had a better answer. Thank you. Let's move to the next question. Uh, okay, your line should be unmuted. If you can tell us your name and your question, please. Sure. My name is Gary Hogan, and I'm in uh, northern Idaho. And I had a couple of quick questions regarding uh, HR 6201. And just being mm -hmm. clear, is that only for uh, 50 and over employers? And is there any uh, relief for uh, smaller companies still? And uh, throw my second question in there is uh, on HIPAA and uh, employees that are most vulnerable and most at risk. Uh, we want to make sure that we're still following HIPAA guidelines, but um, it's hard for us to do that and find out which employees are most at risk um, to be able to separate them. Um, any guidance on that particular issue as well? Thank you. Bob, maybe I'll let you tackle that first. And uh... Yeah, well, let me, I'll, I'll, I'll tackle the HIPAA piece first. Uh, and Generally, in most of these situations on the COVID-19, HIPAA is not implicated because you're getting the information uh, from the, uh, you know, from the individual for the most part. Uh, so uh, it's not, you're not getting it through, uh, uh, you know, through a, through, through a health plan or uh, another third party that would, would trigger HIPAA requirements. Uh, there are ADA requirements, Americans with Disabilities Act, which uh, is, as part of its obligations requires employers to treat health information of employees confidentially. So that is a, a, a consideration when you, get, when, when you get information from an employee about his or her uh, COVID-19 or other flu-like symptoms. Uh, and that's why C partly why CDC encourages employers to you know, share as little information with the well, not not to identify the affected employee in communicating with the workforce uh, that someone in the workforce has, uh, you know, been been diagnosed or is uh, presumptively diagnosed as having COVID-19. Um, so, I mean, you're you're right to to be concerned about employee health information confidentiality, but uh, it's not really uh, HIPAA issues in most situations. Um, as far as the legislation, I know uh, the House Bill 6201 is focused on employers of fewer than 500 employees. And uh, Todd, do you know if it reaches down to, you know, to, to, you know, to, to below the 50 employees that uh, is yeah, generally Required it, it under the to, FMLA? Yeah, it applies to all companies below 50. 
excuse me, below 500, there are two specific provisions that, that, that could provide some relief to smaller companies. One is, as I said before, it gives uh, the, the Secretary of Labor the, the authority to exempt businesses um, with fewer than 50 employees from, from, the, from the requirements of the family medical leave section when, quote, the imposition of such requirements would jeopardize the viability of the business as a going concern. And uh, our, one of our questions, of course, is whether that's, that's something that he can provide an exemption, uh, a broad-based exemption, or whether the way it's written, it, he will need to issue exemptions by either by industry or by individual company, which would be more problematic. Um, so that's a potential exception for companies with fewer than 50. And then uh, there are also provisions – uh, under FMLA that require the business to basically give someone their job back, the same job back um, when they come back. Uh, and uh, it, that provision does not apply to companies with fewer than 25 employees. But other than those two things, uh, it, it applies the same way to all size companies. Including keeping uh, group health in place. Uh, I believe so, yes, as I read it. Yeah. yeah. Again, right. I, I hasten to add, uh, many of these provisions are being reconsidered as we speak. So so just just stay tuned. Great. Thank you. We we still have a number of questions that are that are cropping up, so we will do our best to get to everybody. Um, if we don't get to your question, you can certainly try and email me at mday at nsba, and we'll do our uh, nsba.biz, pardon me, and we'll do our best to uh, respond to that question. Uh, okay, we. Uh, I've just now unmuted another caller. Can you please tell us your name and your question? Yeah, hi. Uh, this is Kevin. Um, I'm in Alaska, and uh, we have a unique business. And it's basically um, it's going to be a, it's a cash fund. Uh, uh, the cash flow. The concerned about the the loan program and when the money's going to be available before. Well, I, I, it's, it's getting to everybody's uh, question here is that uh, before every business owner goes for their war chest, so, you know, when is uh, the funds going to be available so that we don't have to go to, you know, we're in a really good position. One thing, we have like a fishing lodge in Alaska and an air service, and we're trans providing air transportation for people. And we have these projects, and a lot of it's in, in hiring subcontractors are like for putting an airplane together and doing these these other things like that. And so we had these funds that we're, we're using to, and before mm -hmm. I would decide as a business owner to shut down these different projects, is, is that those funds going to be available because I, I wouldn't want to be borrowing money at 10% instead of a lower interest and just keep the projects going and keep the other workers going. Right. Well, those are good questions, too. The, the disaster loan program that I mentioned before, the expansion of disaster loan program to include uh, uh, COVID-19 situations, uh, is is getting operational as we speak. Uh, I, I expect there will be more information on that from the SBA this week uh, in terms of practically how to, how to get the money. Now, the key is the state of Alaska, in your case, has to actually request designation uh as a, as as an area where the, a disaster has occurred in this case an economic disaster in order for the SBA administrator to say yes 
um, I'm going to approve that and 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 essentially turn on the the spigot for for companies in your state. Uh, I don't know if the governor of Alaska has done that or not. Um, uh, those are rolling in now, and there should be being posted on the on the SBA website this week, which is sba.gov. Um, and uh, I believe they're supposed to have a drop-down menu where you can check on the status of the various states and localities for that purpose. But that's one loan program. But I think Congress is going to begin to consider some of these other loan programs we talked about that might be much more substantial and robust than this one, but it's but it's not even been enacted yet. So, so you are looking at a little bit of time. So that that I'm fully cognizant that puts you between a rock and a hard place and trying to decide what to do right now. But but aside from the disaster loan program, um, uh, you're not likely to be able to have some surety that you're going to have more cash flow from any kind of a program like that for for some uh, weeks. I would expect. Great. Thank you. Let's move to the next question. Uh, okay, your line should be unmuted. Tell us your name and question, please. Hi, Bernadette Rivero calling in from California. We work in the entertainment industry. I'm wondering if you can talk about some of the implications of 1099 workers. We rely on those in the entertainment industry, and I'm not quite sure how things will work with the coronavirus moving forward. Uh, well, in terms of the, of the provisions of this bill, I mean, there, there's there's nothing in specifically right now that that, that affects uh, on the, sort of in the law right now that it would affect those workers uniquely. But as I was talking about before, the, the provisions in the bill that specifically would allow them, uh, if they are uh, quarantined, if they need to self-quarantine, if they have kids off school, if they're sick themselves with the disease, whatever the related COVID-19 situation is, if they have one of those situations, that they could take the same these same late provisions that are in the bill that are required for employers to provide to their employees, they could essentially take it for themselves, stop working, and then collect this money from the government for this. So it does give incentives for for folks who are in that situation, uh, if they have uh, any kind of potential COVID-19 concern, to consider doing that um, and sort of removing themselves from the workforce. And that could be a, a good thing for them. It could be a bad thing for companies that, that need those people who may, be, uh, uh, who may be stepping back for a bit. Again, that's only if this bill passes as is. Uh, we will see uh, where that lands this week. Let's turn to another question. Uh, your line should be unmuted. Tell us your name and question, please. Okay, we will move on. We're not hearing anything from you, so let's go to our next question. Uh, and I think we'll take this question and then one more, and then we will end the call after that. So uh, if you could tell us your name and your question, please. Hi, Kelly Hatton. I have a business in Delaware. Um, I'm in the mental health field, so I'm trying to figure all this out. We actually do, like, home visits and things along those lines. Um, one of the things that I'm trying to figure out is I do have independent contractors and employees. Um, one issue is that we can do some of the services for one program but not the other program. So I guess my question is, and I understand the 14-day thing that is potentially going to get passed, is what if I – decide to switch over to telehealth for my other programs, but I can't do it for these, the one program, the state's not allowing it, um, 
how long, because I live in Pennsylvania, we're already on our, like, you know, shutdown thing. Delaware is not. Um, how long does that go on? Is it just 14 days? And then what happens to the employee after that 14 days? Well, I'll try to take that. I'm not sure about the issues yeah. around the state jurisdiction. I'll let Bob maybe get into some of that. But but the bill itself, as written right now, requires a two weeks of of, of sick leave uh, for COVID-19 related uh, situations. Uh, but that's all. So after that, if they continue to be on leave for those reasons, they could take the family medical leave provisions after that. Uh, if it applies to them, and if your company doesn't get exemption because you're fewer than 50 employees, um, but if they can't take that, then uh, they essentially uh, uh, have to take a vacation or other sick leave, or if you allow it, or not get paid, or cease working for you. That's it, right, Bob? That's right. Great. Well, let's, uh, we'll take one last question here, and then we'll go ahead and wrap the talk conference up. Uh, your line should be unmuted. Go ahead and tell us your name and your question, please. Hi, this is Susan Chu. Can you hear me? Yes. You can. Hi, how are you? Hi. So I have a question about what you had mentioned earlier around the CDC not supporting that employers require a doctor's note when they come back to work. So how can an employer ensure that the health of that employee is clear so that hmm. it doesn't become potentially a workers' comp situation? As you mentioned, if somebody finds out that they've become sick um, through another colleague at work. Well, I think this is a situation um, that is uh, – Evolving, and I think the advice you know, a week ago about not requiring a return to work letter, you know, may be changing as the you know this, this situation gets more and more serious. I mean, generally, or if you're talking about an employee that had symptoms that that or had a diagnosis, and when that person could return, or someone that might have been exposed to someone who uh, was diagnosed or presumptively diagnosed with having COVID-19. Because the you know the the way that employers so we've been advising employers the CDC has been advising employees differs uh, a little bit. If it's someone that's been exposed, then having them out for 14 days uh, has been the the recommendation. Uh, with someone with symptoms, uh, I, it's having uh, for 24 hours. I, you know, think as this gets, assuming it is getting more and more serious, that those rules may change a little bit. But those are the what, you know, what's, what uh, CDC has been saying and what uh, most advice to employers have been based on what CDC has said. If that answers your question, and if it doesn't, let me know if it's if I if the question is a little bit different. If we really follow um, my my statement that that the CDC is saying don't re, don't require doctor's notes either to take time off or to return to work, and I think the taking time off is one thing, returning to work is another. Uh, the, the, 
return to work is another thing where I, you know I, I might quibble with CDC's advice a little bit more or, or recommendation a little bit more there. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Uh, for all these great questions and uh, all the insight, Todd and Bob, I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Recording um, the call that we post. Uh, so check back, close of business today, and hopefully we'll have that uh, revised or um, uh, fixed. So I, I appreciate everyone's patience. Um, please don't forget to visit our website. Um, you can check out a new poll that we put out just this morning on the coronavirus. It's got a lot of great data in there. And um, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, we'll handle at NSBA Advocates. Thanks, everyone.